a reading from Paul's first, second letter to the Corinthians, which you can find on page 1166 in our church Bibles. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. A reading from Mark chapter 6 on page 1008 in our church Bibles. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judith and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people who were ill and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around, teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. 
They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed with oil many people who were ill ill, and healed them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come by your spirit that you would help me to speak and that you would give us all ears to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was down at Circuit Lane Surgery uh, last week with an Achilles tendon injury that I picked up a few months ago and it hasn't gone away. And so eventually I gave in and went to the doctor's. And, uh, and it's been frustrating because I haven't, for a while, I haven't been able to, to run. And I like to run because I keep fit and I feel good when I keep fit. And I've been thinking to myself, if only it would clear up, if only it would heal, um, then life would be better. I'd be able to do what I want to do. But as I prepared for the talk today, I don't know if you want to put me on another microphone or something. Why don't you give me the handheld? But then, as I prepared for the talk today... I realised that I was suffering from another ailment, which I've identified as the if-only syndrome. Okay, let me explain. We live in an incredible world with so much potential and beauty and so many possibilities. And as Christians, our ideal is to be those great people of God, the person who seems to effortlessly help others. Or the person who has that godly wisdom in the most tricky situations. Or the person who surprises others by our unselfishness. Or the person who prays constantly for others, but they would never know. Or the person who has just that wonderful knack of pointing people to Jesus without even appearing to try. But for many of us, this person who we ideally would like to be or aspire to be, always seems to be tantalizingly out of our reach. We long to be that super spiritual person, but there's always something, or perhaps many things, getting in the way. And what we find in reality is that our good intentions, despite our good intentions, we're still being selfish. We're often frazzled and stressed. We've been unkind to someone we love, yet again. Our prayer life keeps fizzling out. Our determination to be joyful and a great witness to those around us collapses when we lose our temper or give way to complaining and moaning because we haven't got our way. Things aren't the way we want them to be. And this tension between the person we aspire to be and how we actually find ourselves can be summed up by this if-only syndrome. If only I just had a bit more money each month, I wouldn't lie awake worrying about it. If only the children didn't wake me up early, I'd find time and space to pray. If only other people would just pull their weight, I wouldn't have to do it all. If only I was somebody else or with somebody else or had made better decisions in the past or didn't have this illness or that medical condition or this upbringing or that job. If only then then I would be the person that I feel I was really meant to be. But I'm not. 
and that's not how it is. And so life is tough, and I'm not able to be the person I want to be or do the things that I want to do or have the relationship with God that I'd like to have. And these feelings can make us feel like giving up trying or becoming lethargic. I'll just wallow in six hours of TV every day. Or it can lead us to addiction, to eat too much or drink too much, to block out the disappointment. Or even stop going to church because it's too painful to be reminded of God. And this, I've realized as I prepared for this morning, is the if-only syndrome. And the subtle and dangerous thing about it is that the if-only syndrome, it seems quite reasonable. You see, if I have an affliction or this situation, or a broken relationship, or a handicap of some kind, then it stands to reason that I can't realize my full potential. It sounds reasonable, doesn't it? But it's wrong. In fact, the good news is that what Paul the Apostle reveals in this extract from his second letter to the church in Corinth is that no matter what we face in life, we can fulfill our full potential as followers of Jesus. And not only that, but the more challenges and difficulties we might face, the more potential we actually have to fulfill that destiny as children of God, as followers of Jesus. Well, how is that? I mean, it sounds good, but is it true? Well, let's go to the text and see what Paul has to say about it. First, just to remind you of the context of this letter, Paul is being challenged or even attacked by some of the leaders and teachers in the church in Corinth who are claiming to be spiritually superior to him. And they've been undermining his authority as an apostle. And in the BST commentary on this letter, Paul Barnett, who wrote it, says that in this passage, Paul is effectively responding to a question that had apparently been thrown at him that goes something like this. His opponents are saying, Paul, What visions and revelations have you had from God to prove your credentials as an apostle? But Paul refuses to play their game. So he talks about his own spiritual experiences as if they were about someone else. And so the first verse of our passage, verse 2, Paul says, I know a man in Christ who was caught up to heaven. And he goes on to describe this amazing spiritual experience. Now, of course, he's talking about himself, but he speaks as if it's a third person. But, and now Paul really starts to wrong foot his opponents, he starts to make claims that are rather small, actually. Because, first of all, he says that this experience was 14 years ago. And, of course, well, we all love an up-to-date story, don't we? An up-to-date testimony. But Paul says, no, this was 14 years ago. I'm sure his opponents were claiming weekly revelations from God. And then he says that he doesn't really know what happened anyway. And next he says that he can't even tell them what God actually said in this wonderful experience. Quite simply, Paul refuses to play their game by making any great claims for himself. And you know, it reminded me a little bit of a time I attended a, an international Alpha conference at Holy Trinity Brompton in London, the home of Alpha. And it was back in 2003, I think. And at the time, 
Sandy Miller was the vicar there, and um, the Alpha course was exploding, really growing onto the international scene, and there were denominational leaders from all over the world there, from Roman Catholics to Orthodox to Anglicans to Pentecostals, Baptists. Every denomination you could think of was represented there. It was also a time when church planting from Holy Trinity Brompton was taking off, and I think they'd just planted their 20th church out of that church into London, into church buildings that were closing down or churches that were struggling. And someone asked Sandy about how he hears so closely from God. How, he, how does he hear from God so well to be able to follow what God's leading them to do next? And the conference went quiet for a moment as they waited for great wisdom and revelation from this leader of Britain's largest and fastest growing Anglican church, And then Sandy said, you know, I think I've only ever heard from God once in my life, he said, you know, supernaturally. He said, when Alpha started to take off and the church started growing, I heard God say, give it away. And that's what we've been doing ever since, just giving it away. And I hung around at the end of that conference for a bit, thinking about some of the things that had come up that day. And as they cleared up the church after the conference, I saw Sandy, this 68-year-old vicar of a 2,500 congregation, quietly helping his team to stack the chairs at the back of the church so that the cleaners could come in and clean. It was a moment I'll never forget. Paul the Apostle refuses to big himself up. And more than that, he goes on to completely turn the tables on his opponents. Because not only will he not compete in the who's the most spiritual game... But he goes on to describe his weaknesses, not his strengths. And so in verse 7, he speaks of the famous thorn in his flesh, which he says he's been given to stop himself becoming conceited. And he even says that this thorn in the flesh is from Satan, recalling the opening chapters from the book of Job when God allows Satan to inflict great suffering on Job, even though he remains faithful to God. Now, we have no idea exactly what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Various commentators have argued for a number of different possibilities. Uh, Some say maybe it was a specific source of persecution that he was receiving. Or perhaps it was a severe temptation that wouldn't go away. Or maybe a speech impediment, maybe a bad stammer, something like that. Or possibly an an ophthalmic disorder, a disease of the eyes, because Paul certainly seems to have had trouble with his eyes. He mentions it on a number of occasions. And it's interesting that his long-term traveling companion, Luke, was a doctor. But we don't know exactly what he meant by the thorn in his flesh. But we do know that the effect of it on Paul was to really stunt his enjoyment of life and to frustrate his full efficiency by draining his energy. And it's staggering if you think about it. Paul the Apostle, one of the greatest, perhaps the greatest, most effective evangelist and church planter of all time, was constantly afflicted by a severe condition, a severe thorn in his flesh. And he was desperate to get rid of it. He openly admits in verse 8 that he, Paul, the man who had... Uh, miraculously healed dozens of people in his own ministry, 
that he prayed and prayed and prayed to God to take this thorn away. And he must have constantly felt, if only, if only I didn't have this thorn in my flesh, just think what I'd be able to do for God. Just think how much more pleasant my life would be. If anyone had the right to cry out to God, if only it was Paul. And how does God answer his prayer? Verse 9 tells us, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, God is saying, I'm not going to take away your thorn, because if I did and you were strong and capable and full of energy, people might think your ministry success was down to you. But this way, there's no doubt that it's me and the power of my Holy Spirit working in you. And we might think, well, that's terrible. I mean, why should Paul have to suffer? But Paul understands exactly why. And he goes on in verse 9 and 10. He says, therefore, I boast in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You see, all Paul wanted to do was to glorify Jesus in his life. That's all he wanted to do. And he could see that in this way, that's what was happening. His opponents were boasting about themselves, but Paul's weaknesses demonstrated God's power working through him. And he concludes by saying, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Okay, why is this good news for us? Well, it's good news because it means that if we grasp what Paul is saying, we don't have to spend any more of our lives thinking, if only things were different, if only that was that, if this was this. It's good news because it means God can work in us just as powerfully as he worked in Paul, despite our weaknesses, despite our flaws, despite the things which are holding us back from being those super spiritual people we'd love to be. So so what are we to do? Are we to simply strive harder uh, to despite the thorns in our flesh? Are we just not working hard enough? No. We have to believe what God told Paul. My grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. You see, the big lie that Satan wants us to believe, the trap he wants us to fall into, is to constantly think that we're failing, that we're not good enough, that either we have to try much, much harder, or we might as well just give up. But God says his power is made perfect in our weakness. And we find it hard to believe because the world around us constantly says you have to be the strongest, the best, the biggest, the prettiest, the richest, the cleverest. But that's not what God says or what God does. Because God gave us his son. The ultimate display of God's power in all of history came when he was most vulnerable. Jesus came into the world as a frail baby, just like you and I. He didn't have any social standing. He was constantly criticized and plotted against. Ultimately, he was falsely accused and convicted and finally nailed naked to a cross of execution where he died in physical agony and spiritual destitution. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet... It was on that cross, at his weakest moment, 
that God won the greatest victory. Jesus' thorn in the flesh wasn't just the whiplashes he received or the nails driven through his hands and feet or the spear thrust into his side. His thorn in the flesh was all of the things that you and I have ever done wrong or thought wrong or said wrong. The sins of the whole world pierced him on that cross. And because he embraced his thorn, it means that we can bear ours and know that with God's power, we can live the lives that he's called us to, live and be the people that he's called us to be, just as we are. Now, Paul Paul did ask for God to take away his thorn. Three times, it says, he prayed to him. And Jesus did ask for the cup of suffering to be taken from him in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he was executed. And it's perfectly right and good that you and I ask God for healing and for deliverance. But when that prayer is answered no... And when it was answered no for Paul and Jesus, both of them lived out this extraordinary truth that God's glory is displayed more powerfully in our lives when we are weakest. And and I just want to finish by mentioning a couple of people who came to mind while I was preparing this. They're both in wheelchairs. One had a motorbike accident in his teens and has never walked since. The other is a woman who developed MS many years ago and for years has had to be carried from wheelchair to car to wheelchair to bed to the breakfast table. They both love God very much. And I can't tell you how many people have prayed for them, including me, that God might heal them and that they might walk again. If there are two people in the world that have the right to say, if only, it's these two people. But, you know, as I've been thinking about it, my reflection is this. That despite all the prayers and and all the moments of disappointment, neither of them is bitter about it. In fact, for years, they've been amazing witnesses to God's grace. Steve plays the keyboard in a worship group. In fact, He came and played here once or twice. And so he helps others to worship God. Sheila prays for others in the prayer ministry team that she is part of and blesses many, many people by her role, praying for people. And as I've reflected on them, I've thought, I think God's perspective is, my grace is enough. And I think they are both living proof that they're living out their lives to the full potential as followers of Jesus, witnessing to his love and grace, serving in the ways that they have been called to serve. And you know, at the end of the day, the Apostle Paul is with Jesus in glory now. He has no thorn in his flesh today. And because of Paul's ministry, millions of others are or will be in glory with Jesus too, because... God's power was made perfect in Paul's weakness. This is the good news. This is the gospel. God's grace is enough for all of us. However afflicted we feel to fulfill the destiny that God has planned for us, we don't need anything more than him. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you that your grace is enough. Thank you that when we are weak, you are strong in us. And Lord, as we come to communion today, help us to bring those if-onlys to you and leave them with you. Help us to believe that your grace is enough. Holy Spirit, come now and show each of us those things we need to let go of so that your power can work through our weakness. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.